You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. I'm Tim Gray, president of the Augustan Institute, and joining me is Professor Ben Akers, who's also our executive director of FORMED. And so he's the one who makes all of these things happen here at FORMED, and he's the boss of FORMED, so it's great to have Ben with us. And today is the Feast of St. Ignatius of Loyola. So we're going to talk about this great, great saint, St. Ignatius. We have a great image of him uh, that was uh, the original sketch that we have, and we use that for part of our series, True Reformers, because St. Ignatius gets canonized around, I think, the year 1622, and he's right at the Counter-Reformation, and he's really the high tide, I would say, of the Counter-Reformation. I mean, what he brings in and what he does to renew the church is just absolutely astounding. It's an amazing story. And we're going to talk about this incredible saint, but I just want to mention we have a book, uh, True Reformers, that the Augustine Institute's published. And uh, there's a wonderful chapter on St. Ignatius here, as well as all the other saints who are these stellar saints of the Counter-Reformation, this time when the church was in great corruption and worldliness, and yet it went through an incredible renewal and revival. And that's what we hope is going to happen in the age today, that the church has kind of gotten a bit... Uh, corrupt in some ways and complacent in others and worldly in many, and it's time for a great renewal. And that's what St. John Paul II called the church to a great new springtime. And the last time we had a great new springtime was really the Counter-Reformation, the time of people like St. Ignatius of Loyola. So let's just go back and talk about St. Ignatius of Loyola. Of course, he's born in 1491 uh, in, in Spain, and you know that was a time when there was the beginning of a renewal in Spain. You had uh, Cardinal Jimenez, Francesco Jimenez, who in the 1490s becomes the Cardinal Archbishop of Toledo. He works with Queen Isabella, and Queen Isabella really wants a reform of the church. And it's interesting that the reform of the church in Spain begins with a lay woman, right? It's Queen Isabella who really pushes and uses her, her royalty to push the Pope to appoint uh, this Franciscan who's a, known as a holy priest, Francesco uh, de Jimenez, uh, Cardinal Jimenez. She gets him appointed as the Archbishop of Toledo, and then she, he works with Queen Isabella to bring about a reform in Spain. And of course, one of the fruits of that reform is going to be what we're going to see with the conversion of St. Ignatius of Loyola. But let's talk about St. Ignatius and how he ends up going through a radical conversion. And just to go back to the point of what you were saying of we need a time, we need renewal, we need reform in the church. This is one of the principles that the Counter-Reformation teaches us that we can learn today as well. And it, I'll say it in Latin and then I'll translate it because everything always sounds better in Latin, right? <laughs> Ecclesia semper reformanda, the church always reforming. That the church always needs to be in a spirit of reform. And not only the church, but we as members, each one of us, exactly, members of the church, that we're all called to personal reform. And that's what we see in each of these people. Jimenez, as you mentioned before, he reforms himself. It's not till age 48 when he's appointed this Cardinal Archbishop that he has a deeper conversion in his own life to read the reform of himself, to lead the reform of the order, the Franciscan order that he's a member of, and then the reform of the clergy to which he's in charge of. And so we really see that it's never too late. And same with St. Ignatius. His conversion happens at age 30. So that's, that's not old, but it's, it's later in life. You think that these, sometimes we think that these saints are just born saints. Right, they born right. the ST period in front of their name, <laughs> right? Uh, but they're, they're not. They're, they're just like us. And Ignatius is a great example of that. He was very worldly. He was very vain. Even though he was born to a Catholic family, a noble family, youngest of 11 children, 
By age seven, his mother had died, but he always wanted to be a soldier. That was, that was his dream in life. He loved reading books of chivalry, to, you know, the, the knights doing great deeds and fighting for a, a damsel in distress. These are the books that captured his imagination. This is the life he wanted to choose. And he lived a very vain life. He says that, that he cared about what he looked like. He's very particular about his looks, about his dress, the way he, his comportment. And uh, these were things that were, that were a priority to him. And uh, he sought his fortune in the army. And so his conversion really takes place at, it begins on the battlefield. Yeah. Uh, he's fighting for, in the Battle of Pamplona. And Pamplona is part of the Kingdom of Navarre. Spain was divided into different, different countries. And the Kingdom of Navarre was between France and Spain. It's kind of that, that border there. And he's fighting the Battle of Pamplona. And uh, he was fighting for the Spanish forces against the French. And at a key moment, the Spanish wanted to pull back. They said, look, we can't, we can't, uh, we can't compete against the, en the enemy. And even though Ignatius was a lower-ranking officer, he rallied the troops and convinced them, no, we need to fight. We need to fight bravely. And a cannonball blows through the wall of the, of the town, and he stands in the gap and leads the men and a surge of energy from the Spanish forces. But another cannonball rips through his legs, really just tearing his right, the left calf off, his right shin completely broken. And uh, soon after, the Spanish have to surrender. And so he is convalescing. And this break was so bad that they had to set it. And they didn't set it really well on you the know, battlefield. And, and resetting a broken leg without uh, painkillers, uh, you have to re-break the bone. I mean, that's, that's what's just, I mean, you think about that, that, that's incredibly painful. He almost dies. Yeah. He yeah. almost dies on the battlefield because of this re-breaking of his leg. And they did such a poor job of it. Actually, he has a bone protruding from his leg, and he didn't want to have that bone protruding. So they saw that part of the bone off that's protruding from his leg after the reset. Wow. But he's walking with a serious limp. And he was so vain, he said, I don't want to walk with the limp the rest of my life. Re-break the leg and reset and it. Stretch it out. And stretch it out with weights. Wow. So this is, this is kind of his experience of life. And it's after the second time that he... Yeah, it's amazing, you know, and in terms of his vanity, what he's willing to suffer for vanity. And, of course, he's going to reflect on that, and he'll later on be willing, what, he'll challenge himself, what, he'll, what, he's, what is he willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ? Yes. Right? And, uh, but he's a tough guy. He's a tough guy. man of, of strong willpower already, even before his conversion. So he's recovering in, uh, in a family's estate. And he asked for some books. He, I want those, the books about the knights and the damsels. And chivalry. Distress. Chivalry. That's what, what I want to read. Like romance and action novel. Exactly. You know, all in one. That's the popular reading then. And then they say, we don't have any of those books. We have a life of Christ and we have some stories of saints. And he's not interested. He's like, I don't really want it. But, but then he becomes bored because he's just Be in his bed all day. Because he's in there for weeks and weeks with, you know, there's no TV to watch. All there is is books. And so he's got to read something. So he starts to read. There's no form now. <laughs> there's, there's no Catholic radio. And so he, he, he starts to read the life of Christ. He starts to read the lives of the saints. And, he, and, he, and he's reading those, but he's also having dreams of being a knight still. And he, he starts to realize what's going to become an important thing in his discernment of spirits is that when he reflects on the lives of the saints, he has great consolation and happiness in the life of Christ. When he reflects on being a knight and doing the things that he had always dreamed of, he quickly becomes dissatisfied and discomforted. Mm -hmm. And so he realizes that there's desolation 
and there's consolation in prayer. Right? You know, in this reflection, he realizes he turns it to prayer. He starts to read the lives of the saints. He says, look, what Dominic did, the founder of the Dominicans, what Francis did, the founder of the Franciscans, can't Ignatius do? And so he's inspired by them, seeing that those are the real heroes. I love how God uses his competitive spirit. So, you know, Ignatius is the one who rises to the rank of an officer in the army, and, and he's a competitive guy. I mean, you can see the, that in the battle. He's not going to give up even when the odds are against him. He's going to rally the men to fight the French, right? And once they lose Ignatius, they all give up, right? So you see his competitive leadership skills. And as he's reading the lives of the saints, as you say, Ben, he's, he's competing with them. He's like, well, I can do that, or I can compete with that. What would it look like if I, you know, did as much penance or as much, you know, prayer as these guys? I could do that. And he's, he's, he's using his imagination thinking about being competitive and competing in a sense with these, you know, these spiritual athletes of Christ, so to speak, you know, these great saints. And God harnesses that ambition. And one of the things that we like to discuss here at the Augusta Institute is that it was because of Cardinal Jimenez's initiative in getting a printing press that yeah. these stories were readily available uh, for him to read. Exactly. Yeah, Jimenez used the new technology. He was innovative. He, he used the new technology of the printing press and to publish books. And he got these books, spiritual books. And so the life of Christ that Ignatius uh, read, that was published by Jimenez in his printing press. I think it was by um, a, a German, Ludwig uh, something. Ludolf uh, the Saxon or Ludolf something? Ludolf the Saxon, yeah, yeah, Ludolf the Saxon, uh, his life of Christ. And, and likewise with the lives of the saints. And so these books are laying around the castle because, you know, uh, Cardinal Jimenez and uh, got a printing press at the university he founded for renewing theology and the study of the faith and especially the study of scripture at Alcala. And so those books are there. And of course, they give him a book to read and he reads that book and it converts him. And so one of the things we want to do at the Augustine Institute is be like Cardinal Jimenez who reformed Spain by publishing good books, by good videos and other things to equip people to know the good news, to know the gospel. And just that, that's what I noticed in my own life, that my, uh, my children just love to look at books and they love the ones who can read, love to read. And so it matters what books we leave laying around. Yeah. And so that's, we try to be strategic as parents to put the right books out. So that's this, the book that they're gonna pick up and read. And so if you'd like to buy books from the Augusta Institute of our publishing wing, you know, to have good books around so that when people visit you or you're looking for something to do, instead of looking at your phone, maybe uh, pick up a book and read, A Life of the Saint. It, it's so important and I know friends who put really good books in their guest room, you know, uh, to just kind of pique the interest of people, to get, to get an Ignatius moment where somebody starts to take and read, as our founder Augustine did, and that you, you can take and read and it can lead to a conversion. Mm -hmm. It can lead to conversion. So let's talk about, all right, so Ignatius goes through this, he's reading the lives of the saints, he's reading uh, the life of Christ. This inspires him to embark on a new kind of life for himself. So he begins to pray now and he begins to reflect on this. And then he, as he gets better and his leg begins to heal, this takes about a year, he decides he's going to go on a pilgrimage. That's what saints do is they go and they pilgrimage and he, he's going to go on a pilgrimage. Let's talk about what he, what he does. So he decides next. to go to uh, this beautiful and ancient shrine in Spain called dedicated to Our Lady of Montserrat. And it's this beautiful setting if you've ever been there. It's, it's mm. just outside of Barcelona. It's a, it's a beautiful jagged rocks coming up. And it's a gorgeous area. It I've, is. I've, walked, I've made the pilgrimage up there. I know you have too. And uh, the rocks, the hills, the beauty and hiking up there, it's gorgeous. 
It is, and so this is a, it's a beautiful uh, image of a black Madonna that, that knights would spend all night in vigil before they would go to battle, and they would pray uh, before they were made a knight in front of this image of Mary. This is the, the tradition. And then they would be enter into the rank of knight. Well, Ignatius wants to do that, but he's given up his dreams of being a knight in the sense of a military captain, of serving in, a, in an army, a temporal army. He wants to work for our Lord in the spiritual army. And so he spends all night in vigil before this image of Lady of Montserrat, and he leaves his sword at her statue. And they have a copy of the sword. You, the sword is still... Uh, you can still see a copy of the sword there, but then the sword somewhere else, the actual sword somewhere else. And so I, I he dedicates the, his, his life to Our Lady. Yeah, I love that image of him leaving the sword there and what that represented. I mean, really a break with his life. I mean, you know, he loved vanity. He loved honor and position. And, and the sword represented all those things. It represented his social class. It represented his career. And so to leave that behind was a big sacrifice. Now, there's a story that uh, as he's making his way to Montserrat, he runs into a Muslim, right? And, uh, and he gets mad at the Muslim. He talks about theology and God, and he almost takes out his sword and kills him, right? He does. So, and so he, <laughs> he makes a deal with God. He says, if that Muslim takes a right or he takes a left, I'm going to kill him if he goes right. I'm going to let him live if he goes left. And thanks be to God, the providence was that the Muslim went left. But this is, just shows his passion and his zeal for right teaching and the service of, the, of God. And his competitive spirit. And his competitive <laughs> spirit. And, and so he actually, besides leaving his sword, he actually takes off all his, his royal garment, his, 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 uh, his noble armor and his noble garments, and then trades it for a beggar's cloth. And he goes just across the valley uh, to a little cave called Manresa. And you can still visit that today. And it's in Manresa that really he has a deeper conversion. He devotes himself to prayer. He's constantly praying at the crossing the valley and going to Mass at Montserrat. He has a... Uh, he has a spiritual director that's Dominican. He's being trained by the Benedictines as well. So he's receiving the great fruits of these religious orders. Uh, and he has no idea that he's going to found a religious order, but he's receiving yeah. this deep formation in Christian discipleship, praying, fasting, and beginning to jot down notes that he receives in his spiritual insights that become the base for the spiritual exercises. You know, I, I, that's a great point at, that you just made there at the end, that this becomes, as he's starting to write down and he's on this retreat, in a sense, it's almost like a year-long retreat, spiritual retreat, in the cave in Manrasa, which, by the way, is so beautiful to go there. And I'm, I was shocked when I went. There was nobody really there yeah. but a couple people the day that we took a pilgrimage group. And, uh, and we just had a beautiful mass there. We had a beautiful quiet time and a holy hour to pray. It was just so powerful to pray in that, that intimate place where, Frank, where Ignatius spent so much time praying. And, uh, but he gets the spiritual exercises there. That's where he discerns it. And as you said, what I, what I love about that, Ben, is I think of the old Bible and Moses uh, was a shepherd and that God was using that to prepare him uh, when he was a shepherd for his father-in-law Jethro. And David, of course, was a shepherd and they become leaders of God's people. And here you have Ignatius, who was an officer. And as an officer, he was a leader of men in the army and he had to train. And then he had to train others. And so he uses the tools of the idea of having an objective and training and rules and discipline. And, you know, um, he uses that backdrop to come up with spiritual training because that's really how he sees what he's doing now in his new vocation. He's going to be a knight for Christ, but he realizes he needs a new kind of training. He has the old training for to be a, a knight of this world. He knows how to train and fight with the sword and how to lead men and how to have armor, but he doesn't have know how to put on the spiritual armor. 
He doesn't know how to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so he needs to learn spiritual training. And so he uses the same practical principles for training as, an, as a soldier, for training spiritually. And I think that is a kind of the practical genius behind what he does. He takes his knowledge from one field, that is being a soldier, and he translates that into the spiritual life, and it becomes incredibly practical and, and powerful for people. It does, and the spiritual, that's, by spiritual exercises, that might sound like doing exercises, it means drills. So he's do, running drills. That's what you would do with military drills. So the spiritual exercises are the spiritual drills that you would do. And when he structures his Jesuits, the Society of Jesus that he founds later, uh, this, the head of that order is called the Superior General. So he even yeah, uses so military army. images. It's yeah, an it's army. A, it's an army. It really is. And, uh, and that's so powerful. And I, and I think when, you know, there's so many, it's such a classic tradition now since the time of Ignatius in the 16th century to do an a, a, you know, Ignatian retreat or Ignatian spirituality. And a lot of you might be wondering, well, what is Ignatian spirituality? So we could talk a little bit about that, Ben. But I'll just mention, too, that we have Father Timothy Gallagher, who has a series of talks on Formed, uh, where he talks about discerning spirits and it's Ignatian spirituality. And, and Father Gallagher does a great job of breaking down and practically teaching these spiritual principles that came out of St. Ignatius's spiritual exercises, which was a training manual for discipleship in Christ, really. And one of the most, uh, these are famous and these are wonderful to expose yourself to in, in your own prayer life and discernment to read. One of the most famous meditations that he puts in there, so the week one is reflecting on sin, week two, the life of Christ, the miracles, the teaching of Christ, week three, passion and death of Christ, week four, resurrection and ascension of Christ. So, see, going back to basics, go back to the life of Christ to realize that I'm a sinner in need of the mercy of our Lord. Let me get to know the Lord. And one of the meditations, the most famous, is the two standards. He yeah. thinks he, he, he ha, he, he's very vivid on imagination. He really wants you to use your imagination. He says, imagine putting yourself on a battlefield and the two armies are separated and there's two standards. There's a standard of Satan and there's a standard of Christ. And you're going to choose which side of the battle you're going to fight in. And you don't get to be a bystander. You don't get to be a pacifist and say, I'm not in the <laughs> battle. No, you're in it. And you have to be on one of those sides. Are you going to choose to serve Satan or serve Christ? And it's a very powerful meditation mm -hmm. that he gives. It, I love how he uses his imagination. Uh, and you can see how his vanity in his you know, pre-conversion time, he uses his imagination to imagine all these different things. And that, that, let, that fed his vanity. But then as he convalesced and he imagined what it would be like to serve Christ, to be a saint like St. Dominic or St. Francis of Assisi and to give your life to Christ. And now in this spiritual exercises, he wants people, you know, during these four weeks of a retreat to really systematically go through the life of Christ. And, and so you, you, the, in that first week you choose, you know, there's two armies. We're in a great battle in life and there's two sides you can serve. And there, there's no independence. There's no neutral. There's no Switzerland in this battle. You're with Christ or you're against him. And, uh, and I think if we, you know, the way Ignatius framed it for people is life is a spiritual battle, you know, and there's two struggles going, there's a struggle for two sides going on, a struggle of evil and the devil and the this, this struggle for Christ. And uh, it's, it's really stark and it, it kind of reformulates your commitment. It does, and one of the themes that runs through the exercises is quo vadum et ad quid. So where am I going and what am I here for? What am I going to do with my life? He's, he's constantly getting us to imagine 
Christ and imagine life without Christ and how desolate and how despairing that would be because he wants to drive us to a choice. He saw life is short. We're only here at a brief moment of time. We want to make a decision. He realizes all the time he wasted using his imagination for poor things. He wants to use his imagination now, consecrated to Christ, to help people make a good decision to follow him. It's, uh, it, it's so inspiring. I, I just love what Ignatius did with those spiritual exercises. And it's something that, you know, to go back to the quote you had before about reform is, has to be ongoing. You don't just go through a conversion once. I mean, you, you would think, well, didn't Ignatius, on, you know, convalescing in bed in the castle, didn't he go through his conversion? Why is he spending a year after a pilgrimage praying about whose side am I going to be on and where is my loyalty and going through the life of Christ? I mean, that's kind of intense, but it gets to the idea, this idea of ongoing reform. We have a conversion, but we have to have a deeper and deeper ongoing conversion. And I think Ignatius's spiritual exercises really point the way towards that in a practical way. He says, Ignatius said that in looking back at all the graces of his life, the conversion, the founding of the Jesuits, the growth of the Jesuits, being a priest, all the graces of his life, he said, were nothing compared to the grace he received at Manresa. Mm. He really saw this as the foundational moment of his life, of, of a deeper conversion to Christ and a complete uh, placing himself under the Lordship of Christ. You know, and that can only happen when you're generous with God. You have to give him time. You know, and I, I think one of the things that is, you know, certainly for, for Ignatius and he made it for his followers, but they have to do a retreat every year. And, uh, and this idea of making a retreat and having a silent retreat is so powerful. You know, I, I was gone last week and I did my I, uh, annual retreat. And so I like to spend at least three days. And so, you know, I went up, there's not a lot of retreat centers that are open right now. So I went up and just went camping in the mountains uh, for three, four days, silent retreat by myself. And, you know, so speaking of Ignatius being here in Manresa, it's so powerful. So. It's so important for us to spend that extended time, not just to have our daily prayer time, but to spend that extra time once a year. Give a couple days, give three days totally to God and immerse yourself in the Word of God and listen to God. That's what Ignatius did and it's so powerful. Think of what a soldier would not want to do retreat, mm. <laughs> right? In the battle of life, they don't want to retreat, yeah. but it's so essential. Sometimes you just have to retreat so that you can gather your forces, gather your strength to then do the counterattack. Yeah. So retreat doesn't mean you're running away from something. It actually means that you're regathering yourself to, to prepare for the next fights, the battles that lay ahead. And there's a lot of battles ahead for Ignatius in his life. So let's just talk about the next stage of his life. After he prays, gets the discernment and, and, and Manresa, he goes on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He thought he would be called to be in the Holy Land. That's what he wanted to dedicate his life to. Praying scripture gave him a desire for pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And of course, you and I love to do pilgrimage to the Holy Land and we love to lead pilgrimages to the Holy Land. And I, I, I think that's such a powerful thing. Well, he goes on pilgrimage. The Franciscans tell him to go back home. They kick him out. they like, look, we've got the Holy Land covered. You, 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 you go with something else. And then he's, he's, he's had these profound spiritual experiences He's got these practical exercises and he wants to start leading people through these exercises. And he starts to do that, but then different church leaders say, well, who are you to start being a spiritual guy? This is before he's a priest. And, you know, they say, you need to get an educated. You, you got to get a degree. And so because the Augustine Institute didn't exist, then he couldn't go get his master's at the Augustine Institute. <laughs> uh, but what he does is he, he goes to university. And uh, in fact, he actually kind of starts with secondary school 
which is like a high school he has to go back to. Because he didn't, he wasn't planning to go to get to educated. He just wanted to be a soldier. He didn't need right. the schooling. So he's in. He he goes back as an adult with younger people. So and he's made fun of for it. Yeah. And so he, but he suffers all these abuses and humbles himself as part of his humility. And he goes to this incredible training. And at the University of Paris, one the best university in Europe at the time, uh, he meets seven men. That he begins to lead through the spiritual exercises that that form that form the foundation for. Uh, the Society of Jesus. They're going to consecrate themselves under poverty, chastity, and obedience, and a special devotion to do whatever the Holy Father asks them to do. Uh, and this is the beginning of the Society of Jesus. They're dedicated to the holy name of Jesus. We'll come back to this, the fun of the order in a minute, but I just want to back up. And I, I think one of the great times of testing for Ignatius was this time where he was, he, he has all these great spiritual insights, right? I mean, you know, he has a vision of Our Lady. He has th these powerful mystical experiences in prayer, and yet, you know, the local clergy are saying, no, you, you can't do that. You have to stop leading people on retreats and doing things until you get educated. And, you know, it would have been easy for him to say, wait a minute, you're not living a deeply reformed life. You're not deeply spiritual. Why would I listen to you? And he could have done that, but I think at this great test, he decided to obey the church, even church members who weren't spiritual like him, who are kind of worldly and uh, at best. And yet he obeyed them, he obeyed the church, and he got that education. He spent years and years studying. And, and yet that led him, as you said, to Paris, to meeting the right people, and he meets these other students who become with him his companions, these seven companions that will form the basis of this new religious order, which is really extraordinary. If he's not obedient, there's not the Jesuit order, I believe. I think that's a great insight and a great observation because obedience is a very difficult thing to do, to practice. Yeah. And it comes from the word to listen to in Latin. You have to first listen to what the Lord wants you to do before you can say yes to it. And he's listening to those who've been rightfully put over him. Mm -hmm. And he might disagree with their assessment, but yet he still says yes, and it bears incredible fruit in his life. Yeah. So that's, I think that's, that's right. No, I think, I, I, you look at the lives of the saints and I think of St. Ignatius, that was a key test. Uh, and I think the devil really wanted to uh, make him trip up at that point to say, you're so spiritual, you don't need to do these things. What's getting more education going to do? And what was getting more education at the time was going to do was, first off, obedience, conformity of his will to the will of God. And then secondly, God blessed that obedience and he, and he got a, a good theological education, which was going to be very important for him to lead this order that were going to become an order of teachers. Mm -hmm. right? Let's just talk about what the Jesuits end up doing. And just even in, in, August, in Ignatius's lifetime, there's incredible mm -hmm. fruit. I think a thousand members by the time he dies in 1556. And uh, we really see what the Jesuits, in looking at them, what they were dedicated to comes out of the life of St. Ignatius. They're dedicated to education. This is one of the great things that, we're, that Jesuits are known for today is think of all the colleges and universities that they have founded. Look at the legacy of the Jesuits in, in, the, in the church. And the education was also to evangelize. Right? So that this great passion that, that Ignatius has to evangelize, that he sends missionaries to the East and to the West. Because they're an intellectual order, he forms them so they can, when they go East and they go West, they can engage the culture that they meet, but also apply the principles of the gospel without changing the gospel at all, but bringing it to the to the culture in which they they meet, and they convert people. In the Francis Xavier, one of his most famous followers, is an incredible missionary evangelizing the East. We're familiar with in the West Saint Isaac Jogues, Saint John de Babeuf here in in North America. 
the East and the West. And then the Jesuits were also key in, in re-evangelizing or keeping the, the faith going in Elizabethan um, England. Yeah. When all the, all the great persecution. And so they combated heresy there. So I think education and evangelization are two things that, that Ignatius w- was key to Ignatius's spirituality and to his life, seeing how he served the mission of the church. And then we see that as part of their legacy. I think that what, you know, because he didn't plan to be an educational order, to be in education. It kind of just happened. But I think it didn't, obviously it didn't happen by chance. It was God's providence. But I think Ignatius and the early judges were so focused on formation. That spiritual formation, the spiritual exercises, formation. And I think it became almost natural for them to fall into education because I really believe that education is about formation. And that's at the center of our mission here at the Augustine Institute is to help Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. And so we do an intensive formation for our graduate students with over 560 graduate students last year. And yet we also then bring formation with the books that we publish, uh, the videos that we do here on Formed, everything about Formed is exactly that. It's about formation. That's people are like, why'd you call it formed? Because, you know, like St. Ignatius, like so many of these great saints like St. Augustine, they recognize that formation, at the heart of formation and at the heart of education is formation of the heart and the mind by the truths of God. And that formation equips us, trains us to be disciples of Christ in the world. And that's what, that's what our whole mission is here. And that's why I find St. Ignatius so inspiring and his story so compelling. And you can read that story. There's a good brief chapter here on Ignatius's life on our book, True Reformers, Saints of the Catholic Reformation. And you can get that at catholic.market. So our e-commerce store at catholic.market, you can find True Reformers. You can also find the videos. We have a video series. Our dean, Christopher Bloom, uh, did a beautiful series here in the studios on the saints of the, of the Reformation. He did a whole episode on St. Ignatius, and it's a fantastic series you can watch. And you can just find that on Formed. You can go and find the episode on St. Ignatius and watch that, and that will inspire you here on this, on this feast day of St. Ignatius, which is such a great feast and such a great saint. Well, there are so many great Jesuits who formed me. Father Frank Gignac, who's passed away now, formed me in my doctorate program. He, was, he studied at Oxford. He was the, your classic Jesuit who was brilliant, well-studied, and he mentored me in Greek and uh, in my doctorate program. So I'm grateful to him uh, on this day. I'll pray for him. And I also am grateful for a couple of my great Jesuit friends who are uh, great heroes of mine, and that would be Father Spitzer, who is an incredible Jesuit uh, and holy man and and very wise. We have a lot of his things on form that you can find. And then another great Jesuit uh, contemporary is, uh, you know, Father Fessio. And uh, who started Ignatius Press and all these great books. And we work with Father Festio and and jointly publish a lot of books with Ignatius Press. So a lot to be grateful for. Thank you for watching and thank you for supporting us in our mission circle. May the Lord bless and keep you. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, ebooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.